You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 194, Samsung and Nintendo Get It Wrong. And it looks like Apple may be getting it right. And it is Tech Fan Podcast number 197, Tim Robertson, that's me, Owen Rubin, and of course, David Cohen. Hello, David. Hello. Having microphone USB issues, yes? <laughs> I take that as a yes. <laughs> He's well, that answers the question, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, I guess it does. <laughs> so, uh, how are you, Owen? You're I'm- You're working now. I am. I have a new job at a company called Technical Illusions. Can you talk about it now? A little bit, yeah. So um, the name is Technical Illusions. The 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 name we want is is actually going to be Cast AR or Augmented Reality. No, no, no. We wanted routing numbers to their bank account and that sort of thing. I don't have those yet. Oh, they haven't okay. given that to me. But. All right. Next episode. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, they're a, they're a startup company. They move out of Washington, Seattle, Washington, down to the Bay Area, and I've joined them to help work with developers, and they make a um, stereoscopic 3D headset, but not like the Oculus that you know covers your whole head. This one can be worn, and you can move around, and you you should move around. It um, has a, has projectors in it, and it projects onto a surface, and then what comes back is stereoscopic and 3D. So when you're playing a game, for example, you just move your head, you can look around an object. And the material it projects on allows multiple people to stand around the same play field and play the same game, each seeing from their own perspective. That's kind of neat. Cool. It is cool. Yeah. So the idea is to build a you know a device that you take out of the box and it plays. You can plug it into your computer as well, so it can be used as a, you know with a high power gaming system as well. But it, the you know we want it to be a game system on its own, so it's you know really low friction to get started on it. Sounds kind of neat. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is cool. It's when you put the thing on, everybody kind of goes, "Whoa!" <laughs> so, and so it's funny because, sorry, how, David. So, how far are you from actually launching that? Is it available now? Is they, are shipping, still they are shipping prototypes to people. Okay, cool. Um, they, they were a Kickstarter company, so Kickstarter okay. units are going out. I think uh, with with Oculus and and then this this Hololens thing that Microsoft showed a couple of weeks ago, this seems to be an area of uh, you know kind of kind of an awful lot of activity at the moment. So it's quite exciting. That's what interested interested me is everybody seems to think this is the next thing, uh, and it was fun. And I know a lot of the people, so that that was the other thing. That it's helps a lot, a lot too, doesn't profile. it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. To, to walk into a company and you sort of know most of the people. So, <laughs> so there's a lot of kind of uh, I think a lot of tech things to talk about. And as uh, we were talking about last week, we are going to have spro- product specific uh, items to talk about. And uh, in the second half of the show, I'm going to talk about the Hamilton. Uh, IND Doc 3 induction speaker. And that's not the speaker. That's just music playing. <laughs> Who was that? That's me. Yeah. 
Of course, I'm using a, a Mac with handover, so even though I mute the phone straight away, it keeps ringing through the computer, and you can hear it. <laughs> yes, you can. You know, David, we, the CEO of this new company I have has handover on all his devices. So even when he's in the conference room, his phone rings, his computer rings, and his iPad rings, and yeah. we all laugh about it now because uh, they're all turned up full blast, but it's always yeah. a surprise. So uh, everything needs to be turned to do not disturb, so I'm just trying to figure out how to do that now. Uh, you could always put your iPhone in airplane mode too. Yeah. That's the quickest yeah. way of turning it off. Although I will say that the do not disturb thing actually does work because like your, did you say it was your boss that does that? Yeah. 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 Like your boss, I have it on my iPad. I have it on my Mac and I have it of course on my iPhone. So all three devices will ring if, uh, if I don't answer the phone right away. Well, the iPad right. doesn't if the cover's closed, but if I'm actually on my iPad, it will ring too. So I've got just a cacophony of ding, ding, ding. Dur, dur, dur. Yes, exactly. And I, I, you know, it, it's nice. You're not going to miss a phone call. <laughs> but <laughs> if you put the phone in do not disturb, does it shut up the other guys? Yes, it does. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And, and I wasn't sure about that. The the only thing that kind of bugs me about the whole phone thing is that uh, as as happened there, if you take action on one device, it doesn't immediately filter through to the others. There's yeah. a lag. And yeah. that's kind of annoying, you know, when you're, um, you know, even even so much so that you can actually answer a call on your iPhone and your Mac will keep ringing for yes. like two, three <laughs> seconds, which is, is really rather irritating. That, that happens to me all the time because I'm usually sitting in front of my iMac working when I get a call. And I will answer it on the phone and the, and the Mac is still sitting there. It, it usually gets at least one more ring in. Before it goes, oh, I guess someone picked it up, so I can stop now. Yeah. Hmm. You know what would be cool, though, is if I could still pick it up on my iPhone after I've picked it up on my Mac. I don't think it works that way, though, does it? I don't think so. I think once, you're, once you've actually engaged the call, then it sticks where it is. You may be... I think if you're on the iPhone, you might be able to, to route it round, but certainly... I think you I can take it back, because it's there, right? It's in the phone. Yeah, I, you would think so, but I don't know. I've never, I've never tried, tried it. it. <laughs> We're gonna have to. Somebody has to try that. If if someone out there listening knows if you could do that or not, because here's my point: I take a call on my computer. It's work related. It turns into a much longer conversation than I intended or I thought it was going to happen, and I have to leave. I have to go somewhere, but I don't want to hang up. Yeah. Well, at that point, I'm rooted right. in front of my computer. So if I can route it back to my iPhone and just continue as I go, fantastic. If I can't. Uh, that's not good. I would hope they would do that because they've done, they do it with things like Bluetooth and other. You know, like I have a speaker device, Bluetooth device in my car, and I can pick up the phone and switch it back to the phone. Yeah, but have you ever had that thing with Bluetooth in the car where you um, you're near the car and the car is yes. turned on? Yeah, and your phone rings and you answer it, and then you can hear your voice booming out the car, but you can't hear it on the phone. <laughs> so the David, car I have to tell you a funny priority. story of that. I, I, I drive, drove my wife's car down. She, she was at a, a talk to pick her up. And so I pulled out in front of the place where she was, and I picked up my phone, and I dialed her phone, and the car rang. Yeah. Because she was close enough, we were close enough to the car. Her phone was that the car picked up her phone, connected the Bluetooth, and then rang right back in the car. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So one of the things that uh, hit the news wires this week, and I read it at nine to five Mac, but a few other sites have picked it up. Although I think they're simply picking up nine to five Mac story is iOS nine. Apple says iOS nine is to have huge stability and optimization focus after years of feature additions. Now I think this is 
really kind of big news. And I think that this is important as well. Uh, and Apple has a history of doing this. They did it with Snow Leopard uh, 10.6, if you remember right. This is this is important, and it's important for two reasons. First of all, it's important because it's something that needs to be done. Uh, I'd, I'd very much totally hope to agree hear, with you. Yeah, very much hope to hear. Even though I don't think Yosemite is as bad as some people make it out to be, certainly in my experience, I'd very much hope to see the same approach with uh, 10.11 as well. Um, Yosemite on, on, is bad. <laughs> but um, it, I think it also shows a different Apple in that they are aware of some of the arguments and debates and discussions going on on the web and they've indirectly by announcing this they've answered them because this has been boiling around this this blew up a lot of people were saying this for a while but this blew up big a few weeks ago when marco arment the guy who develops instapaper and overcast and is kind of one of those kind of in that, that in that circle of people which with john gruber and a few other uh, you know john Sircuse, a few other people who are kind of well-known apple commentators he he posted a blog post that kind of went a bit viral and got picked up by national news and everything basically saying app developers and Mac developers were unhappy about the quality of, of uh, Apple software of late. So this shows that Apple's listening to that and is rather just ignoring it as they always used to, they've actually issued a response to say, yeah, we, we understand you and we're going to do something about it, which is is not the Apple we've known for, for the last few years, let's be honest. Well, Owen... When a company like Apple comes out with a yearly release schedule for two major operating systems, the Mac OS and iOS, yep, and each one is just feature packed, isn't this kind of what you would expect that yeah, they, it would start getting buggy after a while? And and what makes systems buggy, at least in my opinion, is that is the bloatware, mm -hmm. and it's 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 you know it's a problem you saw with Microsoft for a long time. They just keep adding stuff on top of what was there. And in an attempt to try to be compatible with everything that was once before, you end up with a very overloaded system with a lot of conflicts that can happen. And yeah, things start things start to go to use your term, David Wonky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I mean, really, with with uh, on the Mac side with uh, with OS ten, I I the last one I I can remember really being think thinking was so rock solid it never went down was probably tiger 10.4 yeah a lot of people I don't, say that i don't i know i know that i know that snow leopard <clears throat> had a stability improvement but in fact there was some stuff under the hood as well that broke a few things and um certainly broke a few apps but i, I mean I, I certainly maybe maybe it's tinged by the fact that uh my first mac had 10.3 panther and then tiger came up very shortly wow. afterwards um but you know for me that was the one where you could always rely on that to uh, pretty much stay rock solid, and you never need, needed to reboot your Mac for months. I seem to recall. Well, true to that, I, I have a ten point four running on an old PowerBook, uh, an old 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 PowerBook, and I run it for a home automation lighting system. Mm -hmm. Solid as solid as a rock. It's if I go look at it today, it's probably been on months. Well, the reason that they took Snow Leopard and, and bragged about the fact <coughs> that there was going to be no new features, that this was a under the hood fix was they were optimizing the OS for the new hardware that was coming out. And I yeah. think we're kind of getting to that point again with both the phones and iPads as well as the Macs. We're going to have new type of processors. I mean, it's still Intel, but right. so much more sophisticated than what we had back in 2006 um, and 2007. Was 2006 the OS X? Uh, no, I think it was later. I think it was 2008. 
2006. No, no, no. Oh, oh, nine. Oh, nine is yeah. when uh, they did the, the Snow Leopard and the no new, yeah. you know, no new okay. features. Okay. Two, 2006 okay. was when they switched to Intel. So, so if, ah, if they think. stick to this, look, here's my problem. When they go to a yearly release schedule, it doesn't feel like any of the OSs has a chance to mature, even though they're really just building on what was there before. As they add new features, there's no maturity. There's no letting it, you know, get better for the features it already has instead of just cramming new things in there just to sell some new devices. I think at the very least, at least every five years, Apple should say no new features this OS update for both Mac and iOS. It's under the hood fixes, it's optimizations, it's it's all of the little niggly things that need to happen, that need yeah. to get fixed that seem to fall to the wayside on this accelerated iOS and Mac OS update well, schedule. Yeah. Just, they, you know. will, they will do because if you have if you have a list of five thousand outstanding bugs, yeah, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna prioritize the priority ones, the things that break really break stuff. Yeah, and maybe the priority twos, which are the things that are can get people into trouble or cause incompatibilities and everything. The priority three, four, fives, which are the kind of the niggling annoyances. If you're also working on new features every year as well, you never doesn't matter how big your team is. You're never going to get to have, You don't have the management bandwidth to ever ever get to those because each one needs to be, you know, compatibility tested with all the new features and everything else as well. You're never going to get to those, so you do have to do this every now and again. So that and, goes. And, you know, I I hope this becomes a a permanent feature of the cycle. The problem is, from a marketing point of view, it's a really tough sell. Well, I don't know. They they did this with Snow Leopard, <laughs> and it was a big seller. Everybody upgraded. At, at the time, everybody was talking about it in 2009, and it was universally loved that Apple wasn't adding new features that year because it really did need, you know, some stability and and some uh, reworkings, and so it, it, it went yeah. over well. So David, is, going all the way back to, to when I yeah. worked at Apple, and I and I think the last OS I worked on was seven five, but in iOS seven days, I remember when iOS seven was being released, sitting around the table with the but they called it the Gang of Five, the guys who were really in charge of that OS, and watched them push aside the number of bugs they did because they were priority three and four bugs. And they were annoyances, but like you said, they didn't cause you to lose data. Mm-hmm. And it was huge. And OS X is such a more complex system. Yeah. I, I, I agree exactly with what you said. Yeah. I'm sure it, that oh, I, f- I find it ironic, really, that um, on the iOS side iOS 8 has not really been particularly well received, well, well, well received um, you know, because of the bugs it had to start with, the performance issues it had to start with, that whole business about they rolled out a patch that killed phones, and then also there was the 16-gig <laughs> phones that couldn't, couldn't install it over the air. Really, our iOS 8 has been fairly well tarnished, which means that iOS 7 is kind of looked at as a, as a, as a fairly high watermark. And of course, iOS seven is the one that was done in six months because Johnny Ive had just taken over and he, right. he redid all the all the front of it, you know. Um, and so it, it, it's kind of bizarre to me that iOS seven is the one that was kind of the quick and dirty fix is now on the iOS side, the one where people look back to and go, "Oh yeah, wasn't it great back then?" <laughs> what features did they add in seven? It was from six. I'm trying to remember what the major feature uh, was. Well, I mean, the major thing was the was the new look and feel, right? Um, and and, and better multitask. They're going They're for better the multitasking, right? Yeah, and and that's that's right. Yeah, the, well, the, I mean, there wasn't really. I mean, there was certainly nothing major in terms in terms of uh, big temple features, as I recall. Certainly not like like we've had now with continuity and, and handover and stuff like that. Okay. So the other big thing that kind of hit the news, uh, <clears throat> there was a few things, but 
This one was a big one, and even CNN's website picked this up, that your Samsung TV is listening to your private conversations. <laughs> That's so great. Wow. David, you're the one that uh, sent this over. Or no, I was the one that sent this over, wasn't I? Yeah. No, I, I did something else. Let's let's talk about the other thing at Samsung at the same time, because I think these two things, in my mind, are somewhat related. Yeah, and that is Samsung investigates why its TV is putting ads in other apps on their smart TVs. Yeah. yeah so, so what was happening there is people in Australia who were watching Netflix and uh, Plex, which is a if, you, if Plex is a media server, and um, you can get I have a, I have this on my Samsung TV. I use this all the time. So you can get a Plex client that actually comes direct from Samsung. It's integrated into the TV, so that if you have a Plex server on your network, you can access it and you can watch all your movies and TV shows and everything through that. And it's actually a very very nice solution. Really looks great and looks much better than anything Samsung's ever done. So. The problem was people were watching on Plex and Netflix and they were finding that halfway through their shows, all of a sudden the stream would stop and this silent ad for Pepsi would, uh, it looked really good, but apparently had no sound in it, would pop up and play through their TV for 30, 40 seconds and then they'd go back to stream again. And people were going, what the hell's going on? Now, it turns out that this is some sort of mistake by Samsung. Um, oh, yeah. They did, Do you believe they, that? They didn't mean, no, I, I, well, here's, here's, here's where I'm coming from with this. I believe they didn't mean, mean to do it. Okay. Just in the same way that I believe they don't mean to listen to your private conversations by <laughs> with a TV that's always that's always listening. Obviously, any device that's always we we did this on the show. You did this on the show, you guys, a few weeks ago with the whole uh, "Hey Siri" debacle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, any device that's listening for a command is by definition listening to everything you say. Now, clearly, what happened is that some. Uh, somebody drawing up legal things at Samsung said, oh, well, really, we should write something in to protect ourselves from this uh, and put a clause in that then kind of got ignored until somebody on the internet found it and people went kind of crazy. But here's my problem with all of this. It's not that these things happen. It's the fact that Samsung is spending time thinking about doing these things. The ads in particular they, they may not have meant to release that ad in that way, but they clearly built an infrastructure that allows them to do that, which means at some point somebody's saying it would be really great if at some point in the future we could, and I'm, here's my air quotes here, monetize our customers by okay. doing this. And this is where I have a problem. This is not something you're being given for free and therefore you are the product. This is something you're paying money for. And if you're paying money, I believe the contract should be that if there is any form of further revenue generation or monetization going on, you need to know about that up front. You don't do it in the background and hope to turn it on later. This is not Google Maps or Google Mail or Facebook or anything else where, you know, if, if you're naive, you think you're getting it for nothing. Um, so, David, is it possible they built the infrastructure for the people who supply those systems to use to insert commercials and it just got enabled incorrectly no oh. i i would say no because number one there's no way netflix would allow commercials to be played during their content no well, how, way. Why, how do you know that because that's not netflix way netflix we are the customer for netflix not advertisers yeah. there's zero advertising on netflix none zero now now, now. We, we it's a subscription-based yeah. no, service was, let me rephrase it tim for you that they are building an infrastructure that will allow app things that run as apps that give content sometimes for free to be able to insert commercials. 
Now, whether they use it or not is up to them, but I'm wondering if this is what the technology was for and it just got switched on in a kind of a stupid way. Yeah, but the, what bothers me about that is they're developing that and they're not telling people they're developing that. If that is a plan that they have in any way, shape, or, shape or form okay. for these TVs in the future, you as a customer need to be informed of that when you buy it, not have something turned on <clears throat> by default later on. Yeah, it's which one is, thing if they is, were working on it in their labs, but this is... It's in shipping. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I just was curious if that's what you thought might be going on here. Because let's be honest, y- you do have to pay for content. Somehow it has to be paid for. Yeah, but no, We've I got to stop you there because one of the things it's inserting ads into is Plex. Plex is just a media player. It's playing your own content. Yeah, I, I'm not saying it did it right. I'm just saying I understand the need to be able to advertise in in free content. I, you know, YouTube. Yeah, is I, I, unfortunately, I do kind of blame. Companies like Google and Facebook uh, and and people like that who've built this model, you know, if you look at, in my view, this is a wider problem. It goes even right back to some of the Snowden stuff and the stuff that the NSA and the governments have been doing. The internet, as it's grown and as it has turned into this thing, where you get this free stuff and then and then effectively people scrape all sorts of information out of it as they do right. it, has led to a culture pretty much everywhere now, which is that. Any information anybody can get is free game, and if and if uh, is any any way they can monetize you by pushing stuff at you is fair game, and I, and I believe that attitude needs to change. I think every single company how, how needs so? to stop how? thinking about their customers as uh, you know. Yeah, once we sold them something, then we got them, and we can throw more stuff at them, whether they like it or not. That, but that wasn't what I was saying. You know, th- I think I agree with you that that the internet has grown up a new bunch of people, myself included, to think, oh, content is free. It's out there. I can go get it. It's, so, and we're slowly pushing it back. Apple really helped. You know, the whole thing with music, everybody downloading music for free, Apple showed that people were, will, were willing to pay for it. Okay? So people, are, people need to pay for content. Somehow it's got to get paid for. We talked about it earlier, Tim, that we skip over commercials. So now, you know... Uh, product placement is becoming big. And I think there needs to be a way to, whether it's advertisement or subscriptions or whatever it is, there has to be a way to monetize getting content because that's how content creators will make new stuff. Right? So, but I agree with you, I also agree with you that you don't want to sneak this in behind your back. No. Uh, and and the problem with the, with the wording around the uh, voice command stuff is that we don't know at this point what they meant by that. It could have been a lawyer just saying, you know what, the TV's listening to everything you say. We need to put a clause in there to make sure that people uh, explicitly accept that it's listening to everything they say. But the, the, you know, the, the thin end of that wedge, particularly in a world where you think, well, once you've got information, then you must be able to sell it to somebody and make money off it, uh, particularly with ads, um, you know, because marketing companies, frankly, will do whatever the hell they want if they think it will work for them. Yeah, yeah. they is is somebody will say, "Oh, Hank, what the TV is listening to everything." Say, well, maybe we could do something with that data. Is there any way you can build a channel so we can do something with that data or analyze the data? Oh, don't worry, we'll keep it private. We'll only do it on the TV, and then we'll only send metadata back about particular keywords or con- particular types of conversations or anything. You know, and it's a thin end of the wedge. And I think companies need to just turn around and say, "Stop." If anybody can say to you, oh, this thing you're doing could be interpreted as sketchy, then don't do it. I, well, we agree. I mean, I don't, oh. have, the, I don't yeah. have the Facebook Messenger on my phone because I read the agreement. 
Yeah. But the point is, yeah, I don't know if you read that. that. I mean, it was, it was, the, the, it was no, basically, I, we're going to do what we want when we want and too I, bad. I'm, I mean, that, that, Tim knows from, uh, from long standing on this show that, I, that basically I don't do anything to do with Facebook and I try and do relatively little with Google because I recognize the trade offs that are going on there and I'm, I'm not comfortable with them. But at least you know with those. That is their business model. The difficulty is, is if you're buying a TV, yeah, it, it really is quite a stretch for you to say, okay, I bought a TV. Oh, by the way, there's, a, there's an ad-based monetization business model coming in on the back of that. It's buying a TV. It's buying a piece of hardware. Yeah, it's not about that. Ex, that it shouldn't be about that extra stream. And I don't want my TV company to be start serving me ads because the problem is, you know, you kind of made this point before. You said, oh, Netflix don't do ads today. But what if they do in the future? But at the same time, your TV hardware company is also doing ads. No, before, no, no. You know, you're misunderstanding You're getting Netflix you're ads, you're getting Samsung ads, and you're getting other commercials from other people. You're misunderstanding me. Not that Samsung would, in addition, add ads. That Samsung has created an infrastructure where App users, people who write apps for their TV, can use their technology to insert ads into their content. Kind of like Apple's iAds. You know, like it, yeah, exactly. I don't. I think Samsung screwed up by turning it on incorrectly. We all, we all agree that. I think they're building an infrastructure for app app designers to be able to add commercials to their content. I believe that's really what they meant to I do. I think. I think if they're working on that and they've got it to the point where it can. They get inadvertently turned on to TVs that exist today. Then they should be they should be talking about that way before they actually start developing it, so that everybody knows, and then everyone can make an informed decision about which brand of TV they buy. And I think we part agree. of the problem here, at least as far as Samsung is concerned, is that they have such a tarnished brand at this point. They do. You know, oh God, yeah. Are you kidding? Uh, they're ridiculed constantly for doing nothing but basing their entire mobile division on whatever Apple does. I mean, oh, have mobile. you seen? Okay. Well, yeah, it's yeah, one mobile. company. Let's 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 not forget this is one company. Oh no! And, if you go, and that go to, mentality. Don't see Samsung. It's not one company. No, it is because no, no, it's, it is. it's it the is. top is what is leading this company, and they have no problem stealing intellectual property from other companies and calling it their own. And He's, now that yeah. they're in trouble and their cell phone industry yeah. is in trouble, what are they doing on the next versions? Oh, look, they look exactly like the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. You think that's a coincidence? No, because no. that's how they built this division to begin with. Yeah, uh, They, they just have z- almost zero trust with me at this point. Samsung and, has to and, go a long yeah. way to earn my trust back. And I'd also say, Owen, the, these, these Korean chai bowls, yeah, they are. They're, they're like the mafia. They are family-owned, family-run companies, and there are no decisions in those companies that don't go through a member of the family up near the top. Okay. Yeah, they are they're not mass- like they're Amer- massive. They're I- not like American corporations. I oh, know. I know they do ships and uh, fridges and dishwashers and TVs. They do. And it's amazing. All sorts of things, and they're all separate parts of the same same company. Uh, but uh, let me tell you, they are. Uh, the, I, I worked for one of these Korean chai bowls once. Yeah, okay. and there is no level of the company that doesn't have. A family man involved, What's so that so that they can, uh, you know, it's it's you know, it's it's like um, or it's like the Rockefeller Corporation. What's that word something? you use? Chai, chai, chai bowl. Yeah. The, um, you, you probably heard in the news this week there was this um, Korean Airlines girl who's a daughter of the owner of the Korean Airlines, and she got okay. prosecuted because. I don't know how much coverage it got in the states. It got loads here. So basically, she so so the, uh, the Korean air is owned by another of these chai bowls, and chai bowl is this Korean word that basically means family corporation. 
Okay. Yeah. And so Korean Air is owned by one of these, and and they they have a fairly sketchy reputation in <laughs> in Korea, South Korea nowadays, because they're considered to be slightly corrupt and very much nepotistic. And this is what happened here. Korean Air. This girl gets on. She's a, a she's a vice vice president on the board, and she gets in first class. And the steward gives her a packet of macadamia nuts on a on a plate, but still in the packet, not opened. She loses it. She goes completely, nothing mental because she says they should have been served to her in a bowl. Yeah, she causes such a fuss. Yeah, she tries to get the steward to stand on his knees and apologize to her for this, oh, which he oh, ref- which he which he refuses to do. So at, at this point, the, the plane has put this is a seven four seven has pushed back from the gate. She then demands via the captain who complies that the the plane return to the gate. So it rolls forward another four hundred feet to the gate, so that the steward can be kicked off the plane and replaced by another corporate employee. Which is oh, what happens God. when this when this comes out. Uh, basically, first of all. You know, the, as I said, these these companies are not well regarded in South Korea at the present time. So it causes a big media storm. She has to apologise and all this sort of thing. She's just been prosecuted because basically Co- Korean law says that once the plane leaves the gate, it is en route and nobody but the captain can return it to the gate without good reason. And effectively, yeah, it says former she, executive of South Korea's national exactly, has been jailed yeah. for one year. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so she, you know, they, and they, and they, that is the court, the kind of power people in the family hold within these companies so don't believe that this stuff happens and nobody up the top knows about it because they do okay Okay. interesting so one more thing i want to talk about before our break and david did send this one over as well and i had actually seen this ahead of time and i was flummoxed by it as well david (laughs) you see i saw this and i thought Okay, somebody has had come up with some sort of hack. This isn't. This is not something it's meant to be able to do. And then I saw that the video explaining to it is a Nintendo video. It was so, unbelievable. So here it is, Owen. If you buy the brand new 3DS XL from Nintendo, right? Okay. But you 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 want to play your old games on it. The stuff that you already bought on your current 3DS, right? How do you transfer? Well. Think about this for a minute. It's it's 2015. Now, if you're on an Android, if you're on a Windows box, if you're on a Mac, if you're on an iOS device, you simply download it, right? And mm-hmm. all of those systems, for the most part, um, will allow you to continue your game. I mean, we have Steam, so you can play it on any machine. Yeah. But on the Nintendo, they have how you transfer your information from one 3DS to another. And it literally involves taking apart one of the machines. <laughs> you need so, a tool? You need well, a screwdriver. What, what you do is, these things both have wireless on. They talk to the internet and everything. So what you do is you actually run a process on both of them, a tool that Nintendo provides on both of them that does some sort of wireless transfer. Then what you have to do is you have to take the memory card out of the old system. You have to plug it into a PC you then have to copy the data from that from the old memory card to a new memory card, which is a micro SD okay. rather than a regular SD. And then you have to unscrew the bottom of the 3DS XL because basically the back plate's holding by a screw to get to the slot where you can put that micro SD card in. And only then will your games work. And I'm reading this. And as I say, I thought, well, this is kind this of is some sort of... This is not on the onion. This is for real. Yeah, this, this is, is real. I'm thinking this is, this is some sort of dodgy hack that somebody's figured out that Nintendo didn't want you to do this. No, this is Nintendo's official procedure. And I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute. 
if I'm not running a tool that's doing a wireless transfer between the two systems, why do I need to move data over the memory card? And if I do need to do that, why the hell do I need a PC? Oh, it's that's just, too funny. It's insane. And that's it's just like, what funny. century are these companies living in that they think this is acceptable? Better to turn around to you and say, you know what, you want your old games on the old system tough. doesn't work. You know, the point with the 3DS XL is inside it's the same system. All it is is a bigger case and screen. It's, it, it, it's, it's just it's insane. insane. <laughs> and, and really, you know what this is about. It's about <laughs> Nintendo being afraid that someone is going to somehow uh, steal their games. Yeah. That's all this is about. It's, yeah. it's insane. And this That's is why people say, why isn't Nintendo in trouble? This is why. Yeah. Because they're still living in 1994. They don't even, understand this world that we this, live in. If this was even, someone's hack, I agree with you, Dave. If, if they yeah. say, look, you can't use them. If this was someone's hack, fine. But the fact that it's that Nintendo is telling you to do this, this is pretty They've funny. actually constructed a very oh. glossy video. Sorry about yeah. that. There's a very glossy video demonstrating this process. And it, all the way through, it's like, oh, all you need to do is just this. Oh, it's easy. And then at the end of it, there you go. Now you can enjoy all your games on your new 3DS XL. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to have much enjoyment after I've just basically turned myself to a hardware hacker. It's, it's, it's just, ridiculous. It, it's ridiculous. And and it just, it's so wrong-headed. Even Sony, who, let's face it, have had plenty of their own artificial DRM restrictions over the years and everything. Even Sony with their latest systems, the PS4 and the Vita, you want to move from one system to another, just log on again and it's done. Yep, log on, you know. download it, you're good to go. <laughs> so I'm serious about this. Apple the new just, Nintendo App Store comes with a screwdriver. Yeah, <laughs> it's <laughs> Apple just needs to buy Nintendo, right, at this point. Just Apple, please buy Nintendo and make it a real company. Uh, either that or Nintendo will go out of business and then hopefully the intellectual property and maybe some of the teams who create some of these great, you know, kids-related games that they, they create will be uh, acquired by somebody else and available on other platforms. Because at this point, I mean, having I've got to say, having seen this, I'm thinking Nintendo hardware for me, never again. Really, I'm, I'm not interested at this point. With that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, guy, there's a new podcast out. Great! What's it about? Let's Talk Apple. Well, yeah, we will, we will. But uh, what's the podcast called? Let's Talk Apple. Okay, if you want to. Uh, Rainier, Silken, Gold Rush, Pippin. What are you on about? I'm talking Apple. Huh? That's what you wanted, wasn't it? Us talking about apples? Well, there we go again. Tangentially, as usual, moving off topic. Did you know Bart Bouchotts has a new podcast out? Yep. Let's Talk Apple. Oh, jeez. Back here on TechFan197. Uh, we'd love to get feedback from you guys. we got quite a bit to read on this mm. episode, but we love your feedback. Seriously, we do. Uh, it's easy to get a hold of us. You could either go to techfanpodcast.com and leave a message there under the show notes. This will be for episode 197. Or you can send an email to us. It's either Tim, David, or Owen at techfanpodcast.com and we will read your feedback right here on a future episode and speaking of feedback uh, going back to uh, techfan196 last week when I was talking about the audio engine B2 mm-hmm. Robert Hazelrig on Facebook said he has a pair of A5s and a pair of A2s and he loves them both and the A5s rock so thank yeah. you very much uh, Robert uh, I do like the B2s um, I, I know that uh 
audio engine actually listened to last episode and uh, they were very appreciative of the kind words and I'm appreciative that they're making good products. You know, yeah. if they would have been bad, I would have said they were bad. And, uh, as I'll kind of demonstrate later in this episode, um, <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert, uh, Neil Wharton, you remember he was the one that kicked off the whole, uh, do you use a case on your yeah. portable phone? Uh-huh. He said, um, he up, uh, an update on the iPhone cover. He have not, he has now switched to the book book from 12 South. The reason being is he was starting to see a slight scratches on a screen. Uh, so he got this cover. It's very stylish, easy to remove if required. Yeah, a lot of people lace, love the book books. Yeah, the latest ones in particular. Apparently, they have a new retention mechanism inside for clipping the phone in and out. That I was reading a review the other day said it's very good. And they're they're, they're not cheap, but they are really worthwhile. And they really um, uh, make the phones look classy. These are the ones that look like a book. Yeah, I always thought they should do a branding thing. Get together with the Harry Potter people and make you know mm, some Harry yeah. Potter books. Um, get together with the Gideons and make a fake Bible-looking book. I mean... Yeah, it, no one will steal that, right? Nobody <laughs> would steal. You could leave it in your hotel room. It'll be there a month later in the same spot. Um, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> little orange thing. Um, another response to uh, from Dale Thorne. He says, I have a B2. Talking about the audio engine speakers. Really great speaker with serious drivers. These aren't the one. Uh, these aren't the one to one and a half inch drivers you get in most of the small Bluetooth speakers. And thanks for the extra width of the B2 enclosure. The stereo separation is better. I agree. Uh, they're a good speaker. I really, I'm, I'm pleased with them. Yeah, I've got to admit, you uh, kind of tempted me last week, but I, I can't afford it right now. <laughs> you, you got enough. To, yeah, because you, you bought the new iPad when you didn't need one. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Simon uh, Parnell, do you want to read this one? David? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So Simon Pompano says, Tim, are you aware of the secret Vectormator mode in Pixelmator? This is after your, your uh, discussion about graphics packages last week. Oh. Uh, and you, you, were, you were wistful about the um, capabilities of um, Illustrator over uh, Photoshop. Yep. So he says, yeah, press Command-Shift-V and watch the tools change the vector drawing set. It isn't quite a real vector tool because it can't be able to put something that retains the vectors as editable postscript items so that other vector tools can use it. But it's a handy addition to the capable. This is what is already a fa- fantastic program for the price. Good show as ever. Always please see TechFan pop up in the downcast list. Thank you very much for that, Simon. That's, I, I, used... that's, I had no idea that Pixel I didn't either. I did. And most of those tools are actually there all the time. It His hack, or I don't want to say hack, but his command yeah. um, just hides the other stuff. So I knew about the tools that are in there. But like he says, it's not true vector tools because you can't, no other application can read that vector information. So you can't just open up that document, even if you did everything in vector in, say, Illustrator or iDraw, it won't retain it. It will bitmap all those images. But yeah. it, it is good if, you know, for the creative process, if that's the only app that you're using when you do a save, it's still a Pixelmator document, so it's going to retain the information that way. But, yeah. What I would also say as well, if you, if you do do iPad editing, there's some really great vector programs on the iPad. Um, which you can always use in a pinch, uh, and I, th- I think you were, you mentioned this on um, uh, on OWC Radio, uh, Tim, when you were talking to uh, the guy from Adobe. Uh, the last show you did was mm-hmm. it Terry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you said, "Oh, I use the older versions because I just don't need um, Creative Cloud at the moment." That's actually a fairly good tip if you need the power of Photoshop or Illustrator, and you um, 
you, you, you're just for casual use. You're not in it all the time. You're not doing a lot of stuff, but every now and again, you need to do something in that. Um, you can often pick up uh, fairly fairly cheaply older versions of those software. Um, I know Adobe sometimes will stop people reselling it on eBay and that sort of thing. But there, you know, there are ways and means of getting this stuff. You can often find it in bargain bins and, and things like that. And you know, even CS or CS2 of Illustrator or Photoshop are incredibly powerful programs uh, and can do a hell of a lot. So uh, that's something else worth bearing in mind as well, I think. Sure. Danny Yankelo, and thanks, by the way, for the mention of o- that OWC radio. It's the last one with, uh, he's with Adobe. His name's Terry White. Yeah. Fascinating guy. I really enjoy talking yeah. to him. Um, Danny Yankelo writes in, and he says, since you brought me up on the podcast on the subject of creating on the iPad, I'd figure I'd chime in. As you know, I've tried a lot of different art apps for iOS. Uh, my factories, <laughs> my, my factories for drawing and painting Art Procreate or R wait. Yeah. Painting art, Procreate, Art Studio and Sketchbook. Inkpad is the best illustrator like app I've used, although I haven't used it much. I find it difficult to do those types of images on the iPad. So and that's kind of interesting right there alone because mm. our question, Owen, was are people right using the iPad? And I think saying, I asked that. I yeah, asked you that. did. Yeah. And he and he says right there, um, it's kind of difficult to do it. I've iPad. tried to, and it, I find it harder. But that's- I think I think if you're trying to create vector images from scratch, it is probably harder. What what the iPad does give you is I I do a lot of diagramming in my job, uh, kind of visio type stuff. And if you're using ah. pre-created images like um, like shapes and things you're like just that, moving stuff around, or you're, you're moving stuff around, scaling longer, them up, and down, yeah. annotating them, connecting them together, are kind of on a, on a grid. If you're doing those sorts of stuff, I I always prefer to do that in the iPad than the PC. And some of the some of the tools available on the iPad, OmniGraffle is is really expensive on the iPad, but it's very good. Um, and then there's another one which whose name escapes me at the moment. What's uh, really expensive? Touch draw, sorry, yeah. Uh, OmniGraffle on the iPad's really quite expensive for an iPad app. Yeah, it's like a hundred bucks. One, yeah. Oh, yeah. really? That, yeah. that is really expensive. But you know, but I will say though that yeah. it is a really good app. I've seen it in use. Yeah. I've got the Mac version. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, I use it too, and I really like it. But um, uh, Touch draw is is very reasonably priced and it's really really good it's as close as you're going to get to Visio on an ipad and if you need to do that sort of stuff it's fantastic uh donnie continues i have pixelmator for ipad but i haven't had a chance to use it much i haven't had the need but thought i would uh, but he thought he would and it's good to have i don't use any of the adobe products for ios at all uh, that oh. might have to do with the fact that i am trying to stop using them on the mac too <laughs> Yeah, well, sorry for laughing. No, no, not, not everyone I, likes the subscription model. That's the thing. I use Pixelmator I, I, on the CS6 Mac. When my stops working, yeah. I probably will stop using them too. He says I use Pixelmator on the Mac for Photoshop type work and an Affinity Designer for Illustrator Illustrator type of work. I only use Adobe software if I really need to. Doodlecast Pro is a fantastic app for making screen recordings of drawings. For example, <clears throat> I've made how to draw videos using Doodlecast and then inserting them into a book. Speaking huh. of books, I create all my books in an app called Book Creator that I reviewed a while back at MyMac, mymac.com. It is fantastic and the easiest way to get a book ready for the iBook store. I could keep going, but that's probably enough for now. I've never heard of uh, 
What was that other one that he talked about? Affinity Designer for Illustrator yeah, I'm type just, work? Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. It's actually from, um, it used to be a serif product. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So um, uh, it, uh, it, if you have the link to that, put it in the show notes and I'll put it, yeah, I'll put it on the page. In fact, it's still, it is, it, it, it's, a re, it's a rebrand. It's a sub-brand of serif, but it's from serif. I'm looking at the website now and it looks amazing. I've got to much. say. Thanks very yeah, much. Cheap, 40 pounds. Oh, um, so, so about, must be about fifty, sixty dollars. Yeah. Uh, on the app store it is, so um, you can get it there. So, Donnie, thank yeah, you very much, really. and everybody else who wrote in. We do appreciate the feedback. It makes the show much better and easier for us, obviously, and it gives us kind of a, an idea of what's going on outside of our world. <laughs> you know what yeah. you guys are doing with stuff. So please continue to send in feedback. We will read it right here on Tech Fan Podcast. And uh, Owen, you've got a product you want to talk about called Plug Doc. What is Plug Doc? Yeah, I, yeah, I love little, inexpensive, cheap gadgets. I, you know, things that that work really well, that just don't cost anything. And this this one was sent to me from a company called Fuse Chicken, and I love their name just because I I wanted I wanted, would have loved to have been in that meeting when they came up with that. Um, and they make things. You've probably seen their products. They make like the little gooseneck USB adapters that. That you can plug your phone sure. onto. Well, so they've come out with a new, a new gadget called Plug Dock. It it's a ten dollar piece of plastic, okay, um, that you put your your charger for your iPhone five five or six series because it uses the new connector, the Lightning connector, in the back, and then you take your cable and you wrap it around this device, and then when you plug it in the wall, the cable's wrapped around, the connector sticks up on the top, and you dock your phone to it. Mm. So it gets all the cables and the charger out of the way. It's plugged into the wall where you normally plugged it, and it creates this little dock. Mm. And it, it's actually kind of it, – when I first saw it, I went, really, would anybody use that? And and I find – I love it. It's just, I just plug it in the wall put my phone on it. It would make yeah. me really nervous to stick my phone on something like that when the only thing holding it there is the lightning connector itself. Well, it stands – the bottom of the phone is resting on the plastic. So it's actually it, – it's a bit wobbly as well when I first looked at it, but it – you know, I've tried to knock it off, and it doesn't fall off. It's, it's, it's pretty good. My only con on the whole thing is that the cable is wrapped around sort of like a garden hose, right? Mm-hmm. It's, so if I want to take the connector and unwind it and use it on, like on my my iPad to charge it, you have to actually pull the cable off from the USB side and unwind it, and then take it out. Yeah, that's and, kind of a pain. And that makes it kind so of a pain you, to yeah. use. So you but need if you have an extra cable, and extra, cable, yeah. Yeah, if you have an extra cable, extra block, this thing makes great. It keeps the cable out of the way; it doesn't get tangled. For t- for ten bucks, I thought it was a very cool. Little yeah, idea. The, uh, the other thing I think worth mentioning to our more international listeners is this is um, currently only for American sockets, not for yes. uh, anywhere else. Always, so, yeah, which surprises me because it just uses your it just uses your connector. So it seems like you know the, the uh, charge. Well, that- that may be a, in the middle of it, so you think yeah, it should work, but it yeah, may it be may, the, may, with the way it sits. It's, it may be a um, kind of a certification issue as well. Obviously, there's electrical okay. standards you need to comply with too. They make a very similar one, by the way, magnetic for the car, which I also like. That you and the magnets in that are really, really strong, and it holds your phone up where you can see it and keeps the cables out of the way. I kind of like the idea. So anybody interested in this, go to techfampodcast.com, look for show 197. There'll be a link <coughs> directly to Fuse Chicken uh, for the plug dock. If you're interested, 10 bucks. It's not very expensive at all. And uh, maybe it's exactly what you're looking for. Most of the things when I'm on my desk, um, I have power strips and stuff like that. So th- it wouldn't work for me at all. 
But if you have an outlet that's, you know, kind of within arm's reach of where you're sitting most of the time, maybe this is a good, a good way to get something off your desk. Yeah, and it keeps the wires neat too, which I like. So yeah, that's the you know that's the issue. I've got I've got to come up with a solution because I still have all the headphones that came with all the iPads and <laughs> iPhones and all that stuff, and the kids use them all the pile, time. Well, a little pile tangled I, up. I, I wrap I wrap them around three fingers, and then I do the use the little bow thing and stick the <laughs> you know. So they're always wrapped up, but the, I always have to wrap them up because the kids just they, I don't know they don't have the ability or something. <laughs> I just find then, stray headphones but, yeah. laying around all the you know the house I, on this I think table you uh, I think you need to do a training video for them. Show them how to do it, uh, and I've if you then them. Don't <laughs> no no, but if you, if you do it as a vid- instructional video on YouTube, they probably probably embrace it a little bit more than Dad telling them. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, I, I would really like a little piece of plastic that I could wrap around and clip the headphones in. That would be really cool. Maybe there's I'm. I'm sure there's something like that already, but I'm not willing to spend ten bucks per pair yeah, of headphones. Yeah, the case it came in. No, Didn't not the old ones. Come in that little case. Oh, have you ever tried to to use that? Uh, yeah, once you figure out how they go back in, it's pretty quick. Uh, mm. What about um, what about an elastic band? <laughs> you know, I bought this. Uh, <laughs> I think it was Dave Hamilton from uh, the Mac Observer, Mac Geek Gab. He yeah. posted on Facebook uh, this deal on uh, on this website for these Velcro strips, and it's a hundred Velcro strips, and it was like three dollars on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And as a Prime member, I didn't have to pay shipping and handling, so I bought them. It was three bucks, <clears throat> and it's a hundred little Velcro strips, and it was great, great for this. But they're too long, so I would have to trim them. Yeah. So I might end up doing that because it would just does. Uh, how, does Brooke have long hair, or short hair? Uh, it's starting to grow out a little bit, but it, considered well, short. Have have to have a grower hair out because once you've got <coughs> a daughter with long hair, I find that the house becomes festoon with these little bobbles they use for tying the hair up, <laughs> and they're very useful for that sort of thing. I have them everywhere. I'm in fact, I'm looking around where I'm sat now. I can see four of them. Yep, there you go. <laughs> Usually, a couple stray hands uh, hair oh, stuck oh, in them too. That that just adds to the ambiance. Yeah, there you go. I know, Owen. You have to uh, you have to run because you have to go I to do. work. But the to to show work. is going to continue sans Owen. Okay. So Owen's going to have to listen to this episode back to find out. If I, uh, you guys are going to talk about yeah, me. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, you go to work and we can trash talk you now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I will see you guys next week. See you next week, Owen. Bye. Bye. So with that, we are going to continue with David and I. I. I forgot that he had a job now. Yeah, I know. It's weird. <laughs> no, but that... That, that means he has to he has to get up early and do the show before he goes to work. I appreciate that effort. Absolutely, good that's on, that's good on you. Yeah. Well, this just means if he wants to do the whole show, maybe we'll have to kick it to uh, a half hour earlier to start time. Mm, maybe. Hmm. So, a couple things um, before I get into my review look at this Hamilton induction speaker. I've really been enjoying a YouTube show. I know, surprise, right? It's called uh, Hank and Jeb YouTube, and I'll put a link in the show notes. I think you'll like this too, David. They have a lot of videos, to be honest. Some of them are gameplay videos, which, yeah, I don't really care too much about those. Uh, But they have their own little cartoon series. Now, I don't play Battlefield. It's never been my game. Um, It's basically because I get killed in those kind of games so fast. And I prefer third-person over first-person games. I like to see the whole character. And yeah. I think in third person, you kind of see more of the screen, more of the environment than you do in first mm-hmm. person. But 
they have this thing called a battlefield buddies or battlefield, battlefield friends. friends. Yeah. It's so funny. You should watch it. It's mm-hmm. uh they've got one character who's kind of a uh he has this kind of a high-pitched southern draw and uh-huh. he's always the newbie that really doesn't play the game correctly at all and it drives the other players characters insane. It's uh I just wanted to give them a shout out because I've been watching their series. In fact, I've watched them all now and it's just, some of them are, you know, not as funny as others, but for the most part, I'm, it's just really enjoyable. It's fun. And each one's like three, four minutes long, you know, almost perfect, perfect, you know, bite-sized little chunks. And they're, they're doing the animation and everything and the voice. And I always used to like, um, what was that thing they used to do with Halo? Is it red versus blue? Yes. Which which also sometimes used to be quite amusing, yep. uh, kind of similar sort of idea, but uh, this this looks like it's got a slightly wider character set and approach than than that, which was kind of very similar. It's 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 one of those things that I when I come across them, I kind of get addicted and I watch every single thing that they have, and then I subscribe to it, and then I don't come back to it for six months, and there's a whole bunch of new content. Yeah, but it's I I love it that people are creating this kind of content. It's not just some guy looking at the camera talking, you know? Yeah. I love this kind of effort, this kind of creativity. And, you know, these things are written out, obviously. They have scripts. They have to get the, the audio just right and to match the animation. It's just great. I, I really appreciate it when I've come across something really good like this and I like to share. And with that, I do want to kick this out to the listeners. Is there a series like this? I'm not talking about just video games, but just animation or you know, real life or something that's really grabbed your attention that you really enjoy that doesn't get the attention it deserves, let us know. We'll talk about it right here on TechFan. I'll take a look at it. I'll watch it. Cool. Um, as I talked about on this show for the last couple of weeks, I went to an educational trade show in Orlando. Yeah. And one of the companies I came across there was Hamilton Buell. Now, the name sounded very familiar, but the products didn't look familiar at all. And they're really, uh, most of the stuff that they have is geared towards education. And the product that I saw there that was, I don't know why I was very interested in learning more about, because it, it, it almost seems like magic. And it's uh, an induction speaker. Now, what does that mean? It means that you just put your iPad or iPhone up to it and it starts playing. So this is... I, I mean, the the way a speaker works is there's a magnetic field that gets convert uh, that the, the sorry the the voltage gets converted into a magnetic field that drives the speaker drivers back and forth. Yes. So I presume using the term induction, it's picking up those magnet that magnetic field from the speakers and then um, then doing that itself. Yes. Is that right? It yeah. also has an audio in jack, so you can plug directly into it. Uh, he- it sounded really cool. I was really looking forward to to playing with this thing. Now it's just kind of this rubberized uh, exterior to it, which mm-hmm. feels very rugged. Like this would work well in an educational setting. Um, and it's got six hours of playtime, which is really great. Yeah. Uh, actually, it says ten hours of playtime, six hours of charge time. I don't understand what the difference is. Thirty uh, three watts by two, so it's not very loud. Um. I was looking forward to it. Here's the problem with a a boom stand speaker like this. When you're listening to it in a very busy hall, (laughs) 
yeah, it, it's more impressive because you can't really hear it. I mean, mm-hmm. you can hear music's coming out, and you're like, "Wow, that's awesome." They actually said, "Oh no, put your put your phone right here. Hit, you know, play music on your phone, and then just set it right here." And I did, and wow, the music got louder. The speaker starts playing. So I thought that was that's pretty cool. But the problem is when I got a version of it, they sent it to me for review. And uh, yeah, it's it, it sounds pretty bad. Yeah. Now, I do have Bluetooth on my phone. Everybody has Bluetooth on their phone now. I'm trying to figure out for the cost of this thing, which is they have it at $64.30 retail. It's such a weird price point. <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to figure out why this would be a good idea and not a Bluetooth speaker. Well, I, I guess it doesn't have to be paired. So you can use it with... Um, bear in mind they're an education company as well, so maybe the idea is is that you have in a classroom and then any child who, who they may all have iPads can just put it on there and then it can be amplified up if, if the child's done a presentation or something or has a video on the iPad they want to share with the class. Obviously, you don't then need to go through. The, the problem with Bluetooth is once you've done the pairing, it's fine, but actually doing it on a regular basis, particularly with multiple devices, is a faff. Yeah. Um, and, and most Bluetooth devices i've come across will pair with two or three devices at the most if you're lucky um they certainly won't pair with loads of loads of different devices they're not designed to do that so um i guess in a in a shared environment like a classroom you'd want something uh different but you know that but at that point then it's it's a case of well what's wrong with just plugging into the headphone jack well and that and if you're in a educational setting how many things do you need to pair it with anyways and not every kid is going to have an ipad that needs to be paired with an external pair of speakers i can understand headphones but not speakers yeah i i I mean i don't know my my kids watch a lot lot of the videos on their ipad i guess if you wanted to put the ipad down and have it across the room and they could still hear it then something like this would be good but again you know if it's a single use then bluetooth is just as fine just as well and you can and and the thing is nowadays Nowadays, you can get very good Bluetooth speakers uh, for much less than this. Right. I uh, mean, I, this is not an inexpensive thing, and I don't, I don't get it to be honest. Uh, so I'll give you an you, example. I, let me just hit some music here, and it's just going to play through the iPhone or my iPhone speaker, and then I'm just going to set it in this dock with the speakers from the iPhone, basically right next to the speaker dock. Now, this is right underneath the microphone, so it might be a little loud. I'm going to kick the volume down to about. Uh, a third. Okay. So I hit play. Yeah, I got to turn up a little bit louder than that. All right. So that's just the speakers on the iPhone. Can you hear it at all? Yeah. Now, if I just sit in this. Yeah. Yes. It's quite louder. I'd say that's off the dock. Off. Back on. Now, if I'm. And now if I move it, I'll set it kind of on the other side of the dock and slide it towards the speaker. It's on, and I'm sliding it forward towards the speaker. Now, it sounds like crap. Yeah. To, to be, you, to be you, frank, you that, it, it yeah, sounds you, terrible. Do you think that's a limitation of the induction technology, or is it just that the, the te- that technology is fine, but they've just paired it with the... Uh, uh, some lousy electronics and drivers. I don't know. I couldn't tell you because I've never used 
another induction set of speakers before. Now, looking at this, there are speakers on both the left and the right side of the stock, and there are subwoofers on the bottom. And yet, it sounds like muddy garbage. I mean, it's terrible. It's just terrible. And I'm trying to figure out where the use case for this thing is. I, I don't understand why any educational institution, let alone consumer, would spend $65 for something that sounds this bad when you could spend $30 on just a cheap Bluetooth set of speakers or dock and get twice the audio quality, let alone spend $200 or $300 and get the audio engines that I reviewed last week. Mm. I guess I guess the magic of not having to connect anything, uh, not having to pair anything, is, is, is an attraction to people superficially, but it, at the end of the day, it's got to sound good. I've got to say as well, just if you just put induction speakers into Amazon, you'll see these are not the only people selling these things. Well, these are the only um, ones that I have access to at yeah, the moment. Yeah, no, but what I was saying is 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 that the, is that the the technology itself is 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 appears to be more widespread. And um, if you wanted um, a stand like this for your iPad that had the same technology in it and you didn't want to spend the, the money they're asking. Obviously theirs is presu- is presumably optimized for the uh, for the education environment, but um, it's available for less money. I think if it was look if it was if it was twenty dollars, would would you say, oh well it's okay for twenty dollars? I mean no. that's that's kind of the ultimate no. <laughs> the sound no. is that bad. I mean, yeah. If it was just spoken word, let let me pull up a podcast. Let's just be and here's the thing though what I hear in person is different than what you're going to hear over Skype or what the listeners are going to hear once it's converted to an MP3 and they're listening to it that way. So let me bring up a show. Uh, I hit play. Uh, This is an episode of OWC radio. Actually, let me go to the newest one with Terry white. Uh, Maybe it helps if I turn it on, right? So that they could find more users of whatever that platform was. And I had the crazy idea back then. No, it sounds muddled. It's distorted. It's horrible. This is one of the worst speakers I've ever heard. I'm very disappointed. Very nice people. And and when I was looking at the products in the booth, some of it looked really, really cool, especially some of the headphones that I saw. I didn't actually put any on, so I, I can't speak for the quality. But this was the one. This is the thing that kind of caught my eye. They just, yeah. I just put my phone on here. My music was playing. I didn't have to pair. It, I thought, well, that's pretty cool. You know, in a school environment, you just set this down. You put an iPad on. You don't have to worry about battery drain with Bluetooth or anything like that. You just, boom, it starts playing. But it sounds terrible. Why yeah. didn't why? If you're gonna spend this much money, if you're gonna make something like this and sell it for that price, and you gear it towards the educational market. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm trying to try and play devil's advocate here. Maybe the um, uh, maybe the environment or the or the, tar- the 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 target audience for this is is somewhere where quality is not a high priority. Maybe in in a in a classroom setting where they anticipate teachers using this, they're just thinking, well, as long as you can hear it, it doesn't matter if it's not high fidelity. Hey, but if that's um, the case, fine. Then why are you charging that much money? Yeah, well, you know, who knows who knows what their internal processes are, but um, uh, it's cheaper on Amazon. <laughs> same product, same product's forty dollars on Amazon. So, um, you know, and they I still would say, get if, I, I would say if it's ten dollars, to be honest, because it's yeah. a pretty nice stand. 
I mean, as a stand, yeah. it works well for both the iPad and the iPhone or an Android device because it really doesn't matter. It's induction. Yeah. For that price, or, or for the for the physical stand as a speaker stand, it works great until you hit music and, and sound starts coming out of it. Then you're just like, wow, that's horrible. But, but here's here's the question: Do you think people really care? A lot of people. Yes. When it's this, when it sounds this bad, here's the yeah. other test, David, because it has audio in, and, mm-hmm. or I should say auxiliary in. Let's see what it sounds like. Let's see if it's a problem with induction, mm-hmm. or if it's just a really bad speaker in there so i'm, I'm going to plug in my phone uh, i'm just going to play the audio from uh, owbc radio again and i'm going to see if it sounds any better <laughs> and that's how it started he probably had a trash 80 okay so that sounds yeah. like that now let me put it back on the induction and hit play found myself unfollowing some people it sounds about 50 yeah, percent better plugged in yeah but you can still, even over Skyping in here, it's not great. No, it, it's the, it sounds like the, the case itself is kind of rattly a little bit. Yeah. Not impressed at all. And and it's, and I'm kind of bummed out about that. They're, they're putting yeah. a subpar set of speakers in this thing, and they're charging the educational market through their website a premium price. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah. I, 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 you know, look, I, we don't have a rating system in place here on TechFan, but if we're using the one that we use at MyMac... A one through ten, I would give this a two. Right, it's, it just sounds terrible. Just yeah. sounds terrible. And let's be honest, David, it's not difficult for companies now to outsource where they're buying speakers from, and you can get fairly decent speakers to go in, you know, for, for not a lot of money for inexpensive Bluetooth yeah, speakers. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I would imagine that they've they've acquired this from a from a, a Chinese producer and whoever it is is just is just building the speakers down to a very low price unfortunately and if you want the induction technology that's kind of you know i would imagine there's a fairly limited market there for for people to to build them for you um i guess that's that's probably the problem maybe <laughs> i could maybe the executives at, at uh, hamza buell are saying oh yeah you should have the ones we rejected mate <laughs> <laughs> maybe but this is this is my problem i look at this and i think okay it looks nice it has a nice yeah. rubbery feel to it um and it has their big logo right there on it and it says hamilton buell never ending learning innovation well okay yeah if you're gonna advertise yourself like that mm-hmm. don't have junk and this yeah. is kind of junky it really is come into a bargain bin near you hmm. <laughs> It's depressing because when I go into a a new product review, especially from a company that I met in person, I I met these people at this event. They were great people. I really liked them. I really want to like the product. I never go into a review thinking, oh, this is going to suck or this is going to be the best sounding thing ever. I try to stay neutral, but I never go into it negatively expecting it to be bad. I want it to be good. I I want to give people good options to spend their money on things. This isn't one of them. This this sounds yeah. terrible. Yeah, it's a shame, a real shame. As you say, particularly when it's when it's going to schools. But um, I guess schools sometimes are used to getting short shrift technology wise, and this is another example. Yeah. So yeah. if anybody from Hamilton Buell is listening, yeah, uh, I'm I'm not happy with this. I don't think you should be happy with this either. I wouldn't. If I were your company, I wouldn't put my name on this at all. I'd immediately pull this, or at least go back to the supplier and say we need speakers at about 300% quality 
better than what these are because this is terrible. And I would be embarrassed to send this to a school district and advertise my products on this dock listening to that audio quality. You guys can do okay. better. You guys can yep. do better than this. I know you can so, because I saw some of your products. They look yeah. really cool. So that's how Hope version 2.0 is on the way. There you and go. That's better. Yeah. There you go. So, David, with that, uh, I'm done with my content. You got anything before we wrap up? Uh, no, it's pretty much. I'm just trying to think uh, kind of what I've been doing. How's the car? How's the electric car coming? The car's going really well. Yeah. Um, I've discovered that uh, running the heater all the time really doesn't do much for the battery life. <laughs> You'd be surprised, but I've been really surprised. I mean, it, it really kills the battery. Does it? That was so, my concern uh, about living yeah. in Michigan. I like, think this is it, yeah. I mean, here... This time of year, it's av- we're averaging between about two, three degrees centigrade up to about five or six. So it's not, I mean, it's cold, but it's not cold, cold. Um, what is that in Fahrenheit? You, so I'm a dumb I, American. Uh, so, so that's about um, 40s, oh. 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, no, exactly. I drive with very the window mi- down in the very, 40s. Yeah, <laughs> very mild by your standards. So you, I don't really need to run with the heater all the time. You know, I'm quite capable of uh, warming the you, car. But when you the- do... It's killing your battery. Well, but I was fine. I was surprised that I wasn't getting the kind of battery life I was expecting. I was I was finding after about 55, 60 miles that the thing was nearly flat. Really? And, and yeah, and I thought that's not really far enough. No. So I've been kind of fiddling with the settings, and I did wonder as well with it being new whether the battery needed to bed in a little bit, and once it kind of had been charged a few times, whether the range would improve and that sort of thing. And I f- think I've seen a little bit of that, but then I've been fiddling around with it trying to figure out well, how to get the best out of it and, and anyway one day i decided to turn the heater off and <laughs> you know things things go and it has climate control so i was kind of working on the assumption that if i set the climate control about 19 18 degrees inside the car that the heater wouldn't be on all the time but i think actually it was on all the time and that's what was was uh, sucking it down so what i've done now is is uh, I, if it's plugged in in the morning before I get in, then I remotely turn the heater on, so it's it's running off that, and then I run with the heater off while I'm driving, uh, and then um, if I get in, if I get in and it's it's evening, it's been a bit cold in the car or something, I'll turn it off briefly and then I'll turn it off again, and I'm getting my uh, range around about ninety ninety five miles now, which is kind of where I was expecting it to be for this time of year. Do you think it's so, uh, too big of a trade off for too many people? Like I, older people love the heat; they don't want to be yeah. cold at all. So your grandmother, I don't think that this would be a very fair trade-off from a conventional engine. To yeah, I think I think the guitar, the, 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 difficult, the difficulty is is a is a petrol engine car or a diesel car. Those engines have heat to spare. Yeah. So you know they're very inefficient, so they're always giving off heat. So you you kind of get just get used to having the heat on all the time. Um, you can't do that with this. Now, um, are you concerned with the AC when the summertime hits and it's hot as heck? No, not really, because again, I live in a fairly temperate country. It doesn't get hot, hot like it does in parts of the states here. So um, I mean, I'll just have to have to see how how difficult it is without the AC. But open the window is is always an alternative. I mean, I I, just, I recognize that it's it's not a perfect car. For instance, I have a journey to do on Monday night. I need to drive from here down to Maidstone, which is south of London from here. Um, and the only real normally I do that that journey on the train. But the the only real uh, opportunity I have to do it uh, on Monday is is very late Monday evening, kind of the early hours Tuesday morning. So I'm going to have to drive it. There's no public transport that time. Um, and I need to be down there for a couple of days, and I need to come back. So I need to drive. Uh, and um, so I've, I've rung up Nissan, who sold me the car, 
and said, uh, you need to loan me a car for a couple of days because that's a deal they offer here. Yeah. So uh, that's what I'm going to have to do because I could do the journey electrically. Uh, you can do about 18 miles on the highway and then stop at a services. Most of the services here now have a fast charge that will charge in half an hour. Um, but the thing is, I don't want to do that at 2 in the morning. No, no. Where I, where, you know, I want to get to where I'm going and get to bed. I do not want to have to stop um, every 100 miles, 90 miles or so, and then wait around for half an hour while it recharges. I, so it, it, it's just not, it's not good for that particular journey mode. And so you just have to work within its capabilities and I, look, I said to my we were talking I was talking to my mother-in-law about these uh, they've, they've just started doing driverless car tri- uh, t- trials here um, and she said well, what do you think of those and I said look I've got to be honest in 20 years time we will all be going around in driverless electric cars it's definitely going to happen but it's early days um, you know I'm, I'm enjoying being a trailblazer and I think you know the, this is the thing for 95% of, of my driving the car is fabulous for me. Well, you got to keep um, us updated yeah. uh, as time goes on because I think a lot of our listeners are interested. I do wonder if some of the issues that you're running with using the heat, could some of that battery consumption be fixed with maybe a software update? Um, that's the nice thing about electric electric cars is that you can get software updates that dramatically improve uh, performance, not just of you yeah. know, drivability, but the creature comforts as well, so maybe there's a fix coming for this. Or and, and, and also, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be into the garage on Monday to pick up this um, this uh, this car to borrow for this long journey. So I'll have a chat with them then about you know how how I'm experiencing. I've just done I've done about 1,200 miles in it now. So um, oh, this is the first version of the yeah. Leaf, correct? Uh, I think this is the generation two. So okay. it's the same, yeah. They, they but effectively the original model that was sold over here was made in Japan. They now make them here in Britain. Uh, and so this, they, they made a couple of minor changes when they switched out to production here in the UK. Um, so this is a second gen here. Um, and, but yeah, I'm sure there will be a complete redesign coming in, in the next two, three years. So, Well, thanks for the update, David. I do appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners do too. With that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in one week with another episode. And uh, we'll see you guys then. Thanks. Thanks.